Booker Tov, good morning to all. It's wonderful to resume the Parsha class together. We uh, have the privilege this week of studying Parsha's Achrei Mos, page 636 in the Art Scroll Stone Chumash. Often Achrei Mos and Kedoshim are read together. This year they're read separately. When they're together, Achrei Mos is often more neglected. Kedoshim is uh, chock full of mitzvos. Achrei Mos is a little bit more depressing. It speaks uh, after the death of Aaron's two sons, and then the laws of Yom Kippur and the laws of Arias, of promiscuous relationships. So, uh, but this year we have the privilege of studying Acharimos a little bit more in depth without it having to compete with Parshas Kedoshim. So we'll try to give it a little overview and then I want to study this piece that was handed out uh, by Rav Chaim Shmolevas Musar, an incredible insight not only into the Parsha, but into our lives and a source of great inspiration. So our parsha begins by Daber Hashem Moshe Achrei Moshe Bnei Aaron Bekarvasam Lefnei Hashem Vayamusu. It's an allusion to we know the tragic death, what should have been Aaron's happiest day, the inauguration of the Mishkan, instead was marked by sadness, the sudden abrupt loss of his two sons, whose loss is inexplicable. The amount of opinions that are offered or suggestions put forth about why they were killed is evidence then no one knows exactly why it happened. And yet our Parsha is telling us Aaron bounced back. He was never the same again, someone who suffers such loss. Certainly the loss of a child is never the same again. But he put one foot in front of the other and he had a service, he had a service to perform. And the Parsha is delineating which service? The service of Yom Kippur. The Torah tells us, Hashem told Moshe, speak to your brother Aaron. And he's not allowed to enter the sanctuary whenever he wants. He can't just come in at any time, which is what we're going to see momentarily. He can't just come in within the curtain in front of the cover of the Aron because he would die. If someone goes there uninvited, if someone violates the sanctity of that space, it is a capital crime. When can they enter? Hashem says, I'll appear in a cloud. With this, Aaron shall enter the Kodesh. The Torah then tells us, with the certain sacrifices, and so on and so forth. So on Yom Kippur, dressed in the Big Day Kahuna, in the garments of the Kohen Gadol, the high priest, and part of the service of Yom Kippur, only bezos, only with that, can the Kohen Gadol enter the Holy of Holies. I'm not a big gematria guy. Those of you who know me know that. But I will tell you, there's a famous gematria on that word bezos. What does it mean bezos? Bezos yavo Aaron. With this, Aaron can enter. What is the bezos? What is the with this? Rashi writes, bezos gematria shala arba meos l'shanei bayis rishon. It's 410 years, which are the amount of years of the first bias. That's Rashi. Bezos is an illusion. But there's a famous gematria. What's the gematria? We say on the Yom Noraim, the pinnacle, Unisana Tokef. We just finished Pesach. We're already up to the Yom Noraim. <laughs> Yechevet's grandfather at the Seder, Zechron Levracha, a very uh, special uh, tzaddik, a tamachacham, very special man. Many of you have seen the video that was done about his uh, story in camp. Anyway, he used to end the Pesach Seder every year, Shana Bab Yushalayim, then he'd put his ear to the table, he'd say, if you listen carefully, you could hear the sound of the shofar. As soon as Pesach is over, if you listen carefully, you could already hear the sounds of the shofar. So it's Ice Pesach, so now it's time to talk about Yom Narun in a, in a rabbi's life. We're up to Yom Narun. So we say on Nisan Tokev, the culmination, the climax, the chazim with the stirring melody and tune brings us all, draws us all, pulls on our heartstrings, and we proclaim at its conclusion, Usashuva, Usafila, Utsidaka, Mavir Nasroha Beautiful Dvekas tune to it. Chuva Tfila and Staka help Mavir. We want to give a whole what that means. It doesn't say Chuva Tfila Staka avert a Roa It doesn't say that if you do Chuva and if you give staka, and if you daven with sincerity, authentically, then you will be inscribed for a wonderful year of goodness. It says, it gives you the capacity to be ma'avirin as roa hagzera. First of all, what's a roa hagzera? Just get rid of the gzera. What's the roa of the gzera? And why are you just ma'avirin? Anyway, all that's for 
September, October time. So tshuva tefillah tzedaka. So if you look on top of the words tshuva tefillah tzedaka in the machzor, what words appear? Tsom, kol, and mamun. Tshuva corresponds with tsom. We fast as a form of repentance. Tefillah corresponds with kol, the voice of prayer. And staka is mamun. We use money to give charity. So you ready for this? Friedman's won't believe it. I'm not a gematria guy. Tsom in gematria is 136. Kol in gematria is 136. Mamun in gematria is 136 times 3 is 408. 408 in gematria is the word? Zos. Bezos, Yavoa. You're a gematria guy. We clearly have a gematria guy. Bezos, Yavoaron. What's the Zos? You want to enter the Kodesh HaKadoshim? Literally the Kodesh HaKadoshim? Figuratively the holiest space in life? You want to enter the Kodesh HaKadoshim of life? Bezos. You need to take advantage of Bezos. And what's the gematria of Zos? 408. You need Kol, Mamon, and Som, Tshuva, Tfilo, and Staka. Only when we perfect ourselves, transform ourselves, improve ourselves through these three processes, then Bezos, with that Zos, that's when we can enter. For those who love gematrias, that is a famous, a famous gematria. But Salavitchik has a different interpretation. What is the Bezos, Yavo Aaron? So the Rav writes, Despite the exalted status of the Kohen Gadol, Halacha states, that if he happens upon a dead body where no one has come forward to take care of the burial, what we call in halacha a mes mitzvah, he must perform the function immediately even though by coming into contact with the corpse, he becomes impure and invalidates himself from participating in the avoda of Yom Kippur. The identity of the corpse makes no difference. Whether it's the body of a king or a simple shepherd, all people carry with them the image of God. Mankind is redeemed only when the honor and the value of the individual are upheld simply on the basis of his humanity, not based on his position or accomplishment. Bezos, says the Rav, what's the Zos? What is it that Aaron brings into the Kodesh HaKadoshim? What is it that gives him license to enter the Kodesh HaKadoshim? The Zos with which he enters is his commitment and love to all humanity. That even though he can't defile himself, the Kohen Gadol doesn't even go to the, defile himself to loved ones, but yet, but yet, a mace mitzvah, a, a simple person, a person could be worth a billion dollars, the person could be worth one dollar or anything in between. A person of amazing prestige and prominence, of celebrity, of a lot of followers and friends, online and offline, or the person could be a loner. A person could be somebody who is, uh, somebody who is anonymous. Either way, the Kohen Gadol defiles himself specifically for that mace mitzvah. And the message is simple. The ultimate of holiness means treating everyone with dignity. Not a class system but that everybody deserves our honor and everybody deserves our dignity. And that, says the Rav, is the bezos. That's what he's bringing in. That's what he is, is bringing in. Okay. The Parsha then continues. We're going to come back to, we're going to come back to uh, one of the lessons, another one of the lessons uh, of what we just read in a moment. But the Parsha continues. So he comes in, bezos, and he can only come in when a Kodesh Baruch invites him. And then we have delineated different uh, begadim of the Kohen Gadol, what he's wearing. We have the Seir HaMishtaleach. We, uh, we have the two goats that are designated, that are identical in status and age and appearance. And uh, yet one of them gets pushed off a cliff, and the other one is offered as a sacrifice. And the message there is very simple, that just as the randomness, the lottery that determines the fate so too our lives are subject to lottery, i.e. the goral of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. We think we're in control, we think that we are the arbiters of our own destiny, but really we submit to the Ribbon Shalolam, the Almighty is the one who's pulling the strings. And just as these two look identical, and yet they have such different fates, all determined by Hashem, so too our lives. You can have two people who have led identical lives till a certain point. They have a similar IQ and similar education, similar skill set, similar personality. You could have two siblings who have similar DNA, and yet one goes on to outrageous success, and the other goes on to a lifetime of struggles. And the answer is, Goral Achad and Goral Achad. A Kurdish Baruch who pulls the strings. We don't always understand. That means that even the person who had the outstanding success should never get haughty or arrogant. Should realize, you know, there's plenty of other people who are as smart as me, who work as hard as I do, 
and yet they're not as successful as I am, clearly the success is not because of me or me alone, and that should bring a sense of humility and a sense of appreciation. That is the essence, the theme of what goes into. Now the Pasuk says, it's very interesting, V'nasah sa'ir, Pasuk of Beis, V'nasah sa'ir, Allah es kol avonosam el eretz gzeira, V'shilach es ha'sa'ir ba'midbar. The gigot carries upon itself all the sins to a precipitous land, and you send off the goat into the desert. That is the Pasuk. On these words, Vinasa Sa'ir Allah is called Avonosam. The goat carries all of the sins. The Medrash says to read the Pasuk as follows. The Medrash says, read it as follows. Vinasa Sa'ir Alav, that's Asaf. As it says, Asaf is Sa'ir. Sa'ar. He was a hairy man. Avonosam. What is Avonosam? All their iniquities. Avonos Tam. The sins, the iniquities, the mistakes of the Tam. Who is the Ishtam? Yaakov. So the Medrash says this Pasuk is an illusion that this goat is atoning Esav Yaakov. Seir is Esav, Harry, and Avonos Tam. The mistakes of the Ishtam, which was, which was, of course, Yaakov. How do we understand the expression Avonos Tam? The mistakes, the indiscretions of the simple person we just read about. That was one of the four sons, the Tam, the simple person. If this refers to the Avonosam, where's the Tamimus? In other words, Avonos Tam seems like a contradiction. Tam means Ish Tam Yoshev Oalim, Tamim Tiyam Hashem Lokacha. The word Tam means that you are pure, you're innocent, you're straightforward with Hashem, you are without sin. So what does it mean to be Avonos Tam? The mistakes of the one who's Tam. If you're Tam, there's no Avonos. If you're doing Avonos, you're not so Tam. Everyone follow the contradiction? You guys all still eat too much chametz, a little slow today. <laughs> too much matzah, chametz after Pesach. Still recovering? Okay. So we'll try to go a little slower. So avonos tam. How could the Medrash interpret avonos sum to be for Yaakov, the avonos tam? If you're tam, there's no avonos. If you do avonos, you're not tam. Rabbi Salavitchik has a beautiful answer. He says, you know, every Jew at our essence, at our core, at our core, is a neshama that's tam, simple, innocent, pure. There's a goodness, an edelkeit, there's a, a just, correct, righteous soul inside all of us. It yearns to do what's moral, what's ethical, what's correct, what's the will of Hashem, and what's kind to the people around us. But what happens? There are layers of stuff from our childhood, from people we interact with, from pain, from hurt we suffer, from experiences, there are, there's a Yetzer Hara, which distracts us and which tempts us. There's an appetite for the wrong thing. And all of that ends up suffocating. It ends up covering that pure soul inside us that wants to fly free, that wants to soar, that wants to sing. Our mission in life is to not allow those other influences to distract or to compromise, to blemish, to taint, but to allow the pureness, the innocence, the goodness, the sweetness inside us to f- soar. You see this, by the way, empirically. Children have such pure faces. There's an innocence, a sweetness, a smile. People are attracted. They're drawn. A little baby. What makes you want to hold a little baby? You want to give the baby back after the baby's <laughs> diaper needs to change or they start crying or they're hungry. That's what they say, the difference between being a parent and a grandparent. Right? The grandparent could hand the baby back. But what draws people to look inside a stroller or a carriage or want to hold or coddle a baby, a child? There's a purity and innocence. They haven't been tainted by this world yet. They haven't been hardened. They haven't grown cynical. They haven't given in to, to temptation. There's still a purity. And we're all drawn to that purity. We're drawn to that innocence. Which piece of us is drawn to it? The tam, the innocence, the purity that still rests and reside inside ourselves. And the mission in life is to stay children, is to preserve that innocence that's in us and not to become, it's not all it's cracked up to be. I meet with a lot of uh, children before their bar and bat mitzvahs and I always tell them. That's exactly what I tell them. Stay a child at heart. Take yourself seriously. Take life seriously like an adult. But remain a child. Rav Shechter, Rabbi Rav Shechter loves to quote, Shmuel is called Shmuel HaKotten in, 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 the, uh, in the Gemara. Shmuel HaKotten. He was the one who composed the Vala Mashinim. Why is he called HaKotten? Is it derogatory? HaKotten? It's like you're, you, know, you call someone a nar, narishkite. That's derogatory. That's obnoxious. You're immature. You're undeveloped. You're unsophisticated. 
Why was he called Hakatan? Because when the people around him had grown cynical and sarcastic and had given into a Yitzhahara, had been hardened to this world, he preserved the the katan, the innocence, the sweetness, the purity inside him. It wasn't derogatory, it wasn't an insult, it was a compliment. And a great compliment that we can give is to say that an adult has the purity, the innocence, the sweetness, the benefit of the doubt, the, 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 um, the dreaming of a child, of a child. So that's avonos tam. It's not a contradiction. There's a tam inside of us. Sometimes it gets neglected, other times even suffocated, and we end up performing avonos. And the mission is to erase and to atone for the avonos and to nourish and nurture and feed and bring out again the tam that's inside, that's inside us. It's such, an important, um, it's such an important principle to understand, to believe in our children, to believe in the people around us. I think it's the driver of the mitzvah, love your neighbor as yourself, I am God. What does I am God have to do with loving your neighbor as yourself? We're going to read it next week. But what does it mean... Love your neighbor as yourself, I'm God. I'm God, and if you don't love your neighbor as yourself, I'm going to have lightning strike. Is that it means to impose fear? It's a motivator? So I think, no. What it means is, I am God, and there's a piece of me in every human being, and find that piece of me in everyone else, and you'll find something you can love. For some, the peace of God is right near the surface. It's easy to see the godliness in them. They're kind and compassionate and giving and gracious and good and just and honorable that, it's easy to love. It's easy to see the God in such people, to be drawn to that and to love them. Others, that godly soul is buried somewhere deep. You need to investigate and look and study and analyze. You need to have, work hard to find any godliness in that person. For some, it's very hard to discover. But yet Hashem says, Love everyone. Why? Ani Hashem. Because I, God, who's the source of all good and purity, so anyone who carries my telemelokim is carrying a piece of God. For some it's at the surface, for others it's buried deep. Our mission is to find it in everyone and love that part of them. Find something redeemable in everyone we know. For some, and again, it jumps right out. For others, ooh, <laughs> it's hard to find that redeemable thing. But for everyone, you can find something redeemable. For everyone. And that's what we're supposed to love. That's the avonosam, avonos tam. Believe in everyone that there is a tam. Believe that there is an innocent, simple, pure soul still inside others. Even when it seems they've erased it, even when it seems they've covered it up and it's not there, it is there. That's what informs the Rambam's position. We don't do this today, but if an individual is recalcitrant, he doesn't give his wife a get. So in the time of the Gemara and even beyond to the Rishonim, not today. Today you get arrested for doing it. But we beat someone up until they gave the get. I, how could you beat someone up till they give a get? You can't give a coerced get. Get mu'usa is an invalid get. So the answer is, you're beating them up. You're beating them up. What you're beating them up is till they say, you know what, I forgot. I really do want to do that. I thought that I didn't want to do it. I made a mistake. Your bat, your cattle prod, your, has reminded me that I, I forgot that the real me really... Really, the real me really does want to do it. So, you know, we, we laugh at that, but the Rama meets it sincerely. We, we are beating out of the person their essence. Their essence, we're beating out of them, who they really are and what they really want to accomplish. The Russia at the Seder, the Machutz of Russia at the Seder, who's not such a Russia, he made it to the Seder. There's a fifth son who didn't even make it to the Seder. So what do you do? You knock out his teeth. 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 What is that? Uh, violence. We're endorsing violence at the Seder table, the Haggadah. Shinav is the letter Shin. The Shin is made up of three legs, the Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. There's a Pintala Yid. There's a holy spark of a pure Jew inside everybody. Knock out the Shin inside of him. Bring out the Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. Remind the person where they come from. Bring out that pure soul which in some has been buried and needs to rehab. It needs to be developed. It needs to come out again. Lubavitcher Rebbe, Zechron Lavracha, used to say he would, it would bother him when someone would say, I have no background. Or, oh, they have no background. Oh, you know so-and-so or someone joined the shul or I met so-and-so. They don't really have a background, the Jewish background. So Lubavitcher Rebbe used to say, they don't come from Avram, Mitzchik, and Yaakov. Of course, they, every Jew has a background. You could say they didn't get a formal Jewish education, but every Jew has a Jewish background by definition. 
We have a background. We come from Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. So that's avonosam, avonos tam. There is, and we have to believe this. Some people make it very difficult to believe it about them. Sometimes with our children we wonder, and we, we focus on the avonos, and we forget the tam. The question is, where's the focus? On ourselves. Some of us give up on ourselves because we focus on the avonos and we forget that there's a tam. We stop believing that there's a tam inside us. So whether it's giving up on ourselves, this would make a good drush of this whole little shtickle here. <laughs> whether it's giving up on ourselves or it's giving up on our children or giving up on people around us or giving up on those who invite us to give up on them, we should, we, it's our choice whether we're focused on the avonos or the tam, but we're all B'nai Yaakov. We all come from the Ish Tam, and therefore we should never give up on the, on the Tam. Okay. Shilachas Asair Bamidbar. You send the goat to the, um, to the desert, and we just do this little thing, don't tell Peter, but we push it off a cliff, and it goes to, it, it goes to its demise. Why are we pushing it off a cliff? It's a pretty graphic end. It's pretty violent. It's pretty horrific. What's the imagery? Basilevichik also um, said on many occasions and in many different contexts, it's a very brisker lumdus to analyze the situation and distinguish between what we call cheftza and gavra. Cheftza means object. Gavra means subject. So you look at a mitzvah and you say, is the mitzvah on the cheftza? Is this a din in the cheftza or a din in the gavra? Is this a din in the object or is it a din in the person? Is it a din in the cheftza or is it a din in the gavra? Rabbi Salavechik took this brisker chakira, this lumdus, and applied it to ourselves and our attitude in life. A human being could either be a cheftza or a human being could be a gavra. When we exert, when we express initiative, when we take control of our lives, when we make choices, when we hold ourselves responsible, we're a gavra. We are a human being. We are expressing humanity. We're taking control. We're using our free will. And if we allow ahead to be influenced by the Sahara, to be molded and shaped by society around us, if we allow ourselves to just passively be a, a result or a, a consolidation of all of the influences, then we've allowed ourselves to be a chefza. When a person sins, they're a chefza. You let that voice of the Sahara act upon you. In other words, you can be an acting human, then you're a gavra. You could be acted upon, you've allowed yourself to be a chefza. What's the difference between a human being and an object? An object, is, um, an object is affected by gravity. If you drop an object, it falls. A human being, we exert influence over gravity. We stand upright, we walk, we climb, we ascend, we aspire. So the Rav points out, you'll notice, you'll always find when the Torah makes reference to a failure of man, how does it describe? Failure is equated with falling. Yurida, Vayered. You always have failure identified with falling. Why? Because if you turned yourself into an object, then you fall. If you remain a subject, a gavra, then you climb. So the choice we have in our life, and that's the imagery the Rav explained of the goats pushed off the cliff, and it's described, you watch it, free fall. You watch it fall. Because that's the piece of us that allowed ourselves to fall. Are we a gava? Are we a chefza? Are we a subject? Or are we an object? The choice is ours, and it defines, and it defines our lives. Oh, there's so much to say. Baruch Hashem. Amazing. Okay, what else? On with the... Uh... Oh, I want to say one other thing about the avoda of Yom Kippur. The Pasuk describes that the Kohen Gadol, when he achieved kapara... For whom was he achieving the kapara? So the Pasuk describes exactly the process with which he did it. The chiper ba'ado. Where's the Pasuk? I don't see it. Yeah, we all know it from the davening. Here it is, page 642. Pasuk chavdalad. Pasuk chavdalad. The chiper ba'ado. The Pesukim describe Ba'ado, Ba'ad Beso, Va'ad Kol Ha'am. And our Yom Kippur davening, our Musaf, the Avodah section of the Musaf, reflects this. Ba'ado, Ba'ad Beso, Ba'ad Kol Ha'am. He atones for himself, for his home, and for all the people. By the way, we learn from the word Ba'ad Beso. Beso zu Ishto. Chazal understood Beso means his home is 
his wife. That's why a Kohen Gadol had to be married. You were ineligible to perform the Avodah if you weren't married. We were worried something would happen to you with your wife, so they designated a, a backup. Not a good, don't try that at home. But we would seclude the husband, and there was a designated Ba'ado, Ba'ad Beso, Beso Zuishto. You had to be married to be eligible to be the Kohen Gadol. But it's a very uh, poor choice of words. It should have just said Ba'ad Kol Ha'am, which includes Beso and Ba'ado. If you say he's going to atone for everyone, that includes your home, your family, and yourself. So why does it say first yourself, and then your family, and then your, and then everybody else? Right? Classic question. So I've shared this with you before. The answer is, the answer is very simple. Because you can't hope to change anyone around you without first changing yourself. You can't influence Ba'ad Ha'am and you can't influence Ba'ad Beso if you don't first do Ba'ado. If your words don't match your actions, they say, who was it who said? Ralph Waldo Emerson who said, your actions speak so loud I can't hear what you're saying. Your actions are so loud I can't hear what you're saying. So we lecture our children, be honest and don't lie, and then we tell them, tell them I'm not home. We tell our children, always on your phone, put the phone away, and then they see us uh, on our technology. We have to daven and come on time and not talk, and they see it. We all know all the classic uh, examples. The, um, the Gemara says in Bab Metziah, First you have to examine yourself, and only afterwards can you examine others. Rishim Shon says, in this context doesn't mean examine, it means be honest and truthful with yourself. We say in Baruch Shmei, Kshot. Means true. So means first look in the mirror and be truthful to yourself. We're all very good at holding a mirror up to others, and we have a funny mirror that we look in ourselves. When it comes to ourselves, we look in a funny mirror that distorts things to make us look perfect. And when it comes to others, we hold up a mirror to show here are all your pimples and warts and failures and blemishes. So Chazal said, First be truthful. Show the capacity to be honest in addressing your own shortcomings before you point them out to anyone else. So therefore it's ba'ado. First we have to work on ourselves and only then ba'ad ha'am and only then, only then ba'ad besos can you influence your family. Only then ba'ad ha'am. There's a, uh, a quote. It's quoted in the name of Yisrael Salanter. Some say it in the name of the Chavetz Chaim. But it really didn't originate with either. It's an inscription on the tomb of an Anglican bishop in Westminster Abbey who lived a thousand years ago. But it's so good that we say it was Rav Yisrael Salanter the Chavetz Chaim, but we should be uh, loyal to the truth and say where it comes from. And what's the quote? It said the following, When I was young and free and my imagination had no limits, I dreamed of changing the world. As I grew older and wiser, I discovered the world would not change, so I shortened my sight somewhat and decided to change only my country. But it too seemed immovable. As I grew into my twilight years in one last desperate attempt, I settled for changing only my family, those closest to me. But alas, they would have none of it. And now as I lie on my deathbed, I suddenly realize, if I had only changed myself first, then by example I would have changed my family. From their inscription, inspiration and encouragement, I would then have been able to better my country, and who knows, I may have even changed the world. That must be some large tombstone. But it's a beautiful quote. It's a beautiful quote, and that is the message. So this I've quoted before, but now I want to quote to you something new from my favorite Imre Chaim, the Vishnu Tzarebbe. So the Vishnu Tzarebbe says, you see this also elsewhere. It says, the one who sends off the goat, he has to cleanse his clothing, he has to go in the mikvah, and only then can he come in the camp. Writes the Imre Chaim, Before you can come back in the camp, and before you can give advice to others and tell them how to behave, before you can walk into the camp and teach and preach, first, cleanse yourself. First look in the mirror. First cleanse yourself. First take care of yourself before you come in and try to preach or teach or cleanse or cleanse others. Okay, let's go weiter in the Parsha, and then we'll come back to look at the beginning again and see this Sichos uh, Musr. Okay, Yom Kippur, we have the Avodah outside of the tabernacle. Then the Torah comes and tells us, you're not allowed to eat blood, lest any of you have an appetite or a desire. Ish, ish, mi beis Yisrael, men agar agar b'sachama she'yuchal kodam, 
ונשאתי פניי בנפש האוכלת אז אדם, והכרעתי עושה מקרב עמה. If you eat blood, you get curries, you're cut off. כי נפש הבשר בדם And why is that? Because the soul of the flesh is in the blood. ואני נשאתי לכם על המזבח לכפר על נפש אסיכם, כי אדם הוא בנפש יכפר. The blood is the soul. The blood is the soul. We're not going to take the time now, but in Rav Shechter on the Parsha, his essay on this week is all about the definition of brain death, all based on this Pasuk. Ki adam hu anefesh. So if the soul, if life is defined by blood, then it means that the flow of blood represents life. The definition of death then is that an organ has a cessation of blood circulation. When the heart no longer sends oxygen in the blood to a particular organ, that's the definition of it being dead. Rav Moshe is a tshuva. And apparently it applied to him because uh, his own father suffered a stroke several months before he passed away and his arm was paralyzed. Do you tie tefillin on a paralyzed arm? Is the arm alive or dead? And Rav Moshe's conclusion is as long as there's a blood flow to the arm, it's called alive, even if you can't neurologically control it. And therefore you continue to tie tefillin on that arm. But if the arm were to be gangrene, if the arm had no blood flow, then it would be considered dead and you would not tie tefillin on it. Anyway, we're not going to go through it now, but Rav Shechter has a whole uh, essay and his halachic position on brain death comes from this pasuk, this understanding. This is also, there's a debate, chavala, you're not allowed to make a wound on Shabbos. What is the malacha of chavala? You're not allowed to create a black and blue mark. You can't punch someone. You can't give a shot if it's going to draw blood. What's the malacha of chavala? So there's a machlokas. What exactly, which malacha, which of the 39 categories does it fall under? But Tosas is under the opinion that chavala is netilas neshama. It's the malacha of murder. How's the malacha of murder? A little prick in the finger with a little blood, a black and blue mark? So because hadam hua nefesh, there's such a thing as partial murder. You could take someone's entire life, or if you draw blood, you've taken part of their life. All of this stems from this pasuk, we're not going to take time. Ha nefesh habasar badam, ke nefesh a very important uh, pasuk. We have a mitzvah of kisoy adam. The Torah then continues. Is it a part of shechita? Is it separate from shechita? What's the nature of this mitzvah? But we have a mitzvah of kisoy adam, of covering up the blood. Then the Torah gives us the list of forbidden relationships. All of the arayas that we read at Mincha on Yom Kippur. The parasha began with Yom Kippur and the arayas that we read at Mincha on Yom Kippur. Which is kind of a funny section to read on Yom Kippur. Why that is, but we'll leave that for another time. We'll leave that for closer to, uh, to Yom Kippur. The Pasuk in this context says something amazing. First of all, the Torah says, Kamaisa Eretz Mitzrayim, it introduces, I'm sorry, bless you, Perak Yudches Pasuk Yimel. It introduces the Arayas. Go back to right before the Arayas. Page 648. Perak Yudches Pasuk Yimel. Kamaisa Eretz Mitzrayim Asher Yishavtem Ba Lo don't follow the practices, the customs, the culture of Egypt where you lived. Don't follow the practices of Canaan to which I bring you. Do not follow their traditions. Don't walk in their ways. What is the Torah talking about here? What is it talking about? A specific Avera? What's it talking about? So... The Svasemis points out, the Ger Rebbe, the Torah is not talking about specific Yisurim, specific prohibitions, because that we have separate psukim for. In the delineation of mitzvahs, the Torah separately tells us, do this and don't do this. We have mitzvahs asay, mitzvahs los asay. This umbrella mandate, Kemase Eretz Mitzrayim, is not talking about a specific prohibit, uh, prohibited act. So what is it talking about? Said the Ger Rebbe, the Svasemis, here it's saying, generally, Jewish people, we need to distinguish ourselves. Our values, our ideals, our aspirations are not defined by the rest of the world. That we shouldn't be molded and shaped by the rest of the world. We have uniquely Jewish values and Jewish ideals and a Jewish culture and Jewish society and Jewish life. We don't withdraw from the world. The world has a lot to offer and we embrace it and we draw from it and we learn from it. But at the same time, we can't assimilate into it. And that's what Hashem is saying here. You can almost hear Hashem's voice. I took you out of Mitzrayim to be different than them. You were living in the 49th level of Tumah. You were dressing and speaking and acting and watching just like that. I took you out to be different. 
to be different. Don't be like them. Don't be like them. The contrast between the Jewish people and the rest of mankind is emphasized to an extreme. And this is the message of the Torah, and it's no coincidence that this message of that our identity and our ideals should be different than the world is used as the introduction to which section? About sexual mores and appropriateness, identity, promiscuity, relationships. It's an amazing, amazing thing. When is it specifically that Hashem is giving us this injunction saying, I've taken you out of there. Don't just be like everyone else. Don't buy into and don't embrace the values, the ideals, and the, and the mores of everybody else. There's a Jewish ideal. It's crafted with sensitivity and with love to all, not with judgment and not with, not with uh, um, being uh, inappropriate or rude to others. It's crafted with sensitivity and with love and in moderation. But it's a Jewish view of these specific issues. It's not a coincidence. This is the section the Torah uses that introduction with. And one can't help but think that Hashem is looking down on our Jewish community as we struggle. And I'm not suggesting these are simple issues. These are very, very, very complicated issues. And there will come a time, and it won't be far off, where there won't be a home or a family who's not affected by these questions, who doesn't have an extended family member, who's not involved in their own question of orientation, question of identity, question of, of transitioning, question of... There won't be a family who doesn't have a family member affected by it. But we have to determine, Kemaisa Eretz Mitzrayim, are we going to just subscribe to whatever the world has come to on these issues? Or do we have a Jewish value? Do we have a Jewish approach with love, with sensitivity, with understanding, and so on, but nevertheless a principled approach to these things? Hashem says, I took you out of Eretz Mitzrayim to be a holy people. And you're going to now go buy back into exactly where were the sexual norms and attitudes of Mitzrayim? Why did I take you out? What was the point? What was the point? I think our generation faces this puzzle is very, very important for our generation and for us to ask ourselves in a very careful, in a very careful fashion. Okay, so we have the uh, the arayas. After the arayas, oi, what time it is? After the arayas, Torah tells us all these mitzvahs were given to us. The chayba and pasukei, perik yirches pasukei. We're on page six fifty. Observe all these laws. I just gave you so much laws and mandates and charges. 613. I want you to absorb them. Observe the ones you understand and observe the ones you don't understand. And why are you doing it all? Find life. So what does it mean? What does it mean? So we know that we have an obligation. Saving a life supersedes all but three commandments in the Torah. This is the Pasuk we learn it from. Torah is there to enhance and enrich our life. If it means giving up our life, what's the point of Torah? The whole point of Torah is to inspire, to create an inspired life. If observing Torah would mean giving up your life, then it's counterproductive. So we have the three cardinal sins for which it's better to give up one's life, but for all other 610, it means that we have to do what's necessary in order to live the Chaybahem. But the Kotzker Rebbe had a different interpretation of the Chaybahem. It's a beautiful Kotzker. He said the Kotzker, you know what the Chaybahem means? He says, you know, sometimes people wait to live an observant life until they're older and retired and it's towards the end of their life. A lot of people want to hedge when they see the clubhouse in the distance and they're counting down, they start to hedge. What if God exists? And what if He really has expectations? And some people become very religious towards the end of their life. But when they're young, and they have vitality, and they have exuberance and enthusiasm and energy, then there's other things distracting them. Says the Kotzker, When should it be ushmartem When you have life inside you. When you're vibrant, and you have life, and you have energy, and you have enthusiasm. Said the Kotzker, That's when ushmartem. And moreover, ushmartem. How should you observe Torah? As chukosai ves mishpatai. In what way should we live an observant life? Some people are, are living a dead Jewish life. They're going through the motions of observance, but it's lifeless. How should we live an observant life? Vechaibahem. Not a lifeless observant life, but an observant life that's filled with life, 
that's filled with love, that's filled with energy, that's filled with enthusiasm. A very beautiful, uh, a very beautiful Kotzker. Okay. Okay, I might as well tell you one other thought, which is a shtickle controversial, but timely. And that is at the end of the Ararat. We're ending, ending the Parsha, then we'll go back. And you can't, uh, the, the laws of family purity, and you can't be with your neighbor's wife. And don't offer any of your children to Molach. What does this one thing have to do with another? Don't violate these boundaries of promiscuity, and don't offer your child to Molech. Molech was an idol, that the way you worship the idol was by offering, by sacrificing your child. Don't sacrifice your child. Don't live a life of promiscuity. Why are they in the same Pasuk? What does one thing have to do with the other? So listen to the words of Rabbi Salavichik. These are not my own words. Listen to his words. The juxtaposition of the first two prohibitions is clear, but how are the laws of sexual morality related to the Molech child sacrifice? A couple saves money to buy a house, but then discovers an unwanted pregnancy. Rather than have their plans thwarted, they will go put up the child for adoption or undergo an abortion. They're offering their child to Moloch because they do not want to be deprived of material niceties. The connection between these prohibitions communicates that if one violates chukim, such as the rules of sexual morality, it will lead to Moloch, violation of the mishpatim as well. The prohibition of Moloch is sacrificing a child means sacrificing the future, continuity, children choosing material things over children, the priority of a society. Where do we prioritize? On the future, on the continuity, on children? Or do we prioritize on things and on pleasures and on experiences? And that's the Rav's insight. That if your emphasis is on gaining things and having experiences, then you'll come to sacrifice children. Means you'll sacrifice having children or investing in those children or the amount of children you have and one thing leads to the other. I thought that was a very interesting insight of, of Rabbi Soloveitchik. Okay. Good. Let's go look at the Sichos Musa together. You have the handout? It goes back to the beginning of the parsha. This is Rav Chaim Shmulevitz, the great Rav Chaim Shmulevitz, Mashkiach of the Mir, in his Sefer Sichos Musar. He speaks about these words at the beginning of our parsha. Hashem through Moshe tells Aaron, you can't just come whenever you want. Don't just walk into the Holy of Holies whenever you want. You can only come when I appear in a cloud and that invites you. Perish Rashi, why? Hashem says, because I dwell intensely there, you cannot just come in casually and habitually whenever you want. That is the insight of Rashi. Why did Hashem command someone as holy as Aaron Akoin that he can't enter at will? He's Aaron. He's Aaron Akoin. He was the holiest man together with his brother. And he can't enter at will? Why not? Wouldn't you assume that Aaron is holy enough that he will act appropriately? He'll only enter when it's warranted? Why does Aaron have to be cautioned? Don't enter whenever you want. And again, the language of Rashi was, Yizayr shiroyargil lovo. Be cautious, be careful to not just come in. And Rav Chaim Shmulevitz answers in this piece, we'll look at it together now, but he answers very simply that familiarity breeds contempt. The greatest enemy of holiness is familiarity. Even the holy Aaron HaKohen, who purified himself for seven days before he went in the Kodesh HaKadoshim, even Aaron HaKohen, who had the greatest awe and reverence for that space, was in danger if he became too familiar. If you have too, close, too casual a relationship, if you have too comfortable, if you become too familiar, it undermines a sense of awe, reverence, and holiness. So Rechayim Shalavitz here quotes, Kosova Chasad Yaivetz, Perusha La'avos, Ala Kosov B'yechesku, Levo Amaretz of Hashem B'moadim, Habod Derech Sharet Safon, Nishtach Avos Yatsu Derech Shar Negev, Babod Derech Shar Negev, Yatsu Derech Sharet Safona, Leyashuv Derech Hashar Shabo, Ki Nechbo Yatsu. Pasuk in Yechezkel describes, we know that there were many entrances and gates to the Beis HaMikdash. 
And the Pasuk describes that the pilgrims, when they would come to be Olala Regel, they could not exit the same gate they entered. If you came in this gate, you had to leave that gate. If you came in the other gate, you went through this gate. You couldn't come in and out through the same entrance. Why not? Says the Ivitz, why was it that we're instructed that if you came in this gate, you have to go out the other, you came out that, you have to come in this. Why can't you go in and out the same one? You can't become too comfortable. It can't become too familiar. You can't come in and out of the gates of the Beis HaMikdash like it's the doorway of your home, where it's so comfortable. Adaraba, when you leave your home, you get all formal. When you come into your home, it's familiar, and you're informal, and you're casual, and you're comfortable, and there's challenge towards a sense of holiness, towards a sense of reverence. So that is what informed the halacha of the pilgrims coming in and out. Even the Jews in the desert succumbed to the feeling of familiarity. What happened? They received the mun for many, many years. And what happened to their attitude towards the mun? If you skip down, what they say? We're repulsed by this bread. It's enough. It's enough. Enough of these baby lamb chops. Enough of these baby. Who wants baby lamb chops? Succulent, delicious, juicy. Enough of the baby lamb chops. but when they entered Israel and the mud no longer fell, then they ate whatever they can grow, the produce. Why didn't they continue to eat the mud? It wasn't available. When it was no longer available, they longed for it. That's when they first appreciated it. So says Rechaim Shmulevitz, even the mud grew old. Even the mud could grow stale. The mud is miraculous mud. It fell from heaven. It tasted like anything you wanted. Anything you wanted. Even something that you attain in a miraculous fashion, if you become used to it, if it gets old and stale, if it becomes too familiar, it becomes disgusting. It becomes repulsive. They didn't want it anymore. Because familiarity breeds contempt. The Torah is telling us that we need moments of separation and reflection in order to appreciate our gifts. We have it in all areas of life. In marriage, it can grow stale. And so we have the laws of Taras Mishpacha, the laws of family purity, which are imposed on us and cause us to separate. And it renews a sense of longing and love and desire and lust because familiarity breeds contempt. And so we have forced breaks imposed on us in order to renew a sense of longing. To enjoy chametz, we have Pesach. <laughs> if you think that after Pesach people don't long for chametz, check out some of the videos going around online of the... It looks like uh, Black Friday, or whatever that's called, at uh, Target. You know, the people, they haven't got, they ate, they ate bagels. These days you can eat bagels and waffles, all pancakes, all Pesach. Still, Motze Pesach, you're willing to lose a limb in order to get a donut, to get the first slice of pizza. It's mamash, unbelievable. It's unbelievable. So how do you renew that sense of longing? On Erev Pesach, you never need to see a carb again for the rest of your life. By Motzei Pesach, if you don't have a slice of pizza, I'm is going to die. So, to enjoy chametz, we have Pesach. In food, we have the laws of kosher. With technology and creativity, we have Shabbos. In every realm of life, we have imposed separation that overcomes the familiarity so we never get to the point of contempt. We shouldn't have contempt for our spouse. We shouldn't have contempt for food. We shouldn't have contempt for technology. And so by taking a break, whether elective, involuntary, or forced, it creates, it renews a sense of love, a sense of longing, a sense of appreciation. It renews a sense of holiness. Because if you want Kodesh, you can't be Bo Bechol Ace. You can't come whenever you want. You got to fight the familiarity. All these brachos, we live our lives to the fullest 
when we break the familiarity, the hergel, and we overcome it. And that's what he continues. The sakana of hergel, the danger of familiarity, is we take it for granted. The danger of familiarity is it breeds contempt. We have to strive, whether it's in marriage, whether it's children, whether it's relationships, whether it's things, whether it's food, but in order to keep things new. In the Shabbos, there's a minog. Some have a shlisel I'm not going to talk about shlisel Good, bad. Is it kamaisa eretz mitzrayim? Superstition. We're supposed to not be like that. Be like that. It connects you to Hashem, the man. I'm not talking about it. But I think there's another school with chala. Forget the key. But the Gemara Menachas, that Tzadivav says, Lechem Aponim. The Gemara says, Lechem Aponim. Siduro kesiluko. Siluko kesiduro. When they would exchange lechem upon him once a week, you had the showbread in the base of Mikdash, and they would switch it out, they would flip it out, and it was tummit, it was always there, so you'd pull it out as you put the new one on. The Gemara says, it was as fresh when you removed it as when you placed it. Siluko ke siduro. So, it didn't have preservatives. How did it stay so fresh? What does that mean? Siluko ke siduro. So, I saw a beautiful pshat. Pasha pshat is what was so fresh? What didn't get stale? The bread. The bread. But uh, Rav Shemeshun says it's not the bread. The koanim. The act, the avoda of switching the bread, siluko kisiduro, what never got stale wasn't the food. What never got stale was the avoda. It stayed fresh. It stayed real. It stayed vibrant for the koanim who performed it. We see this also the Gemara Barachas and Dabchavtes says, ha'osa tfilaso keva, ain't tfilaso tachanunim. Rabbi Yezer teaches, if you make your tefillah keva, if you make your davening fixed, it's not genuine. What does that mean? What is keva? What is keva? So there's a machlokas, Rabbi Yaakov Bar-Idi says, in the name of Oshia, anyone whose prayer is like a heavy burden. That's what keva means. You want to get out of there, you don't want to be there, you're flying through it, you have no interest in it, you just want to unload it. That's keva, that's not an authentic tefillah. Rabbi and Rabbi Yosef say, if you don't put something new in it, if all you do is recite the same Shemona Esrei, and you have nothing? Rifa'inu, Baruch Aleinu, Shema Koleinu. You have nothing that you need Hashem for? So that's not a genuine tefillah. So what's pshat? It means that if your text is so rigid and so fixed, if it's so familiar, so casual, so comfortable, it's on autopilot, your davening drives itself, that's not real davening. Real davening is something new. It can't be familiar, it can't be casual, it can't be repetitive, it can't be redundant, it can't be a creature of habit. It has to be something new, something vibrant, something exciting. You have to keep it fresh and never become too familiar. Switch out your sitter, switch out your makom, switch out your shmakolenu, think about different things and different people and different needs. But ha'osat filoso keva, ain't filoso tachanunim. This is a brilliant insight of Rav Chaim Shmulevitz. I encourage you to read the rest of the piece about familiarity, breeding contempt. The great Aaron was at risk. Even the great Aaron could have become too familiar and he wouldn't have been able to achieve the holiness. To achieve holiness in our marriage, in our lives, familiarity breeds contempt. We have to keep things new and we have to keep them fresh. We have to keep them vibrant. We have to keep them alive. Have a great day.